on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there, welcome aboard. Checking out the northern beaches of Sydney in just a moment to find out what impact the giant seas have had on those gutters that have been full of whiting. And Alex Bellissimo is the absolute gun when it comes to catching those delectable fish. They are just so good. We'll share his secrets on reading the beach. First cast on The Big Fish. Have you ever caught a big, clean, fat beach whiting, taken a fillet off, rolled it in a bit of flour or maybe some panko and crisped it up in the pan? Oh, so white, so firm, so tasty. As the Italians would say, it's bellissimo. And uh, speaking of which, the, the beach fishing guru joins us in just a moment, Alex Bellissimo, and he's been on to the whiting. And we're keen to find out what the big seas have done to his favourite haunt, the Northern Beaches as well, where he's been catching stacks of big, fat whiting. So we'll uh, feature Alex on how to read the beach, but here's a little bit of one of his fantastic YouTube clips on beach fishing in the morning for whiting, and it's just so, so lovely to, to see it. And you can also look at the surf and understand what he's talking about when it comes to reading the beach. Wow, what a morning. Pretty chunky swell too. And not a breath of wind. Perfect. Yeah, so I wrangled up a, a bunch of beach worms yesterday. See, it's pretty shallow out here at the moment, and it's probably best suited for whiting and brim, I'd say. Raring to go. Oh, looks like a half reasonable fish, this one. Ooh, good whiting. I love it when you hook into them. You get so excited. Oh, look, I just get so pumped about it, you know. Yeah, at the end of the day, right, I just... See, Scott, what, what, what I never forget, right, is how special it is just to be out there. And nev- I never lose touch of that. The fact is, is that, see, a lot of anglers, they go, well, I've, I've got... I can tick that off my bucket list, and then they go on to the next bucket list, whatever they're doing, and then in the end, they may even lose interest. The thing is, I'm not that sort of person. I feel that you can keep improving. If you can improve by a quarter of a percent each time you go fishing, to me that is that is fantastic. Or if you just get if you just get out there and just enjoy it for what it is. Right? So for example, whiting fishing for me is that beautiful pristine morning or even if it's not so pristine, you know, your toes are in the sand, you're casting out a light rod, you know, light gear with beach worms or pippies or or if, if, if you're lucky enough, some squirt worm or blood worm, right, and then just tangling, wrangling with a good-sized whiting on that light ear and then having it slide up that sand and seeing that fat whiting, mate, I just, I never get bored of it. You know, and then the very next outing can be catching a big snapper. Catching the whiting, mate, I, I never get bored of it. And it, it's, it's a safe form of fishing. It's a great way to spend time with your family and friends, it's just, it's just a wonderful form of fishing. And really accessible, isn't it? You can take the kids, you see mums and dads and aunties and uncles and people who may not be very mobile on those beautiful northern beaches of yours. Four million recreational anglers in this state, and this is a safe form of fishing. We're losing so many people fishing off the rocks. 
beach fish instead. I'd much rather catch a whiting anyway than a wirracod, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, at the end of the day, we'd all love to catch a whiting rather than the old the old boot, the old wirra. But you, you know, some of these beaches are so accessible, right? You know, you can go and park your car, and you can get down to around my area. You can get around to Manly Beach. Like Manly Beach is so crowded. But it's got a really good population of fish there. You know, you can go to another crowded beach, which is, say, DY, and you can get into a good volumes of fish, and you've got people paddling around and surfers and so forth, but it doesn't seem to disturb the whiting so much, right? And then you can get to places which are even more accessible, like Monavale Beach. And Monavale Beach, you can park your car, right, and it's really accessible. You can literally be fishing within 50 metres of the car. There's yeah. not many places you can fish within 50 metres. It's accessible for uh, disabled people. It's accessible for the elderly. It's accessible for mum and dads. And then you've got cafes and so forth that are close by. So the amenities are there, see? And you've got so many of these beaches up and down the coast that you can just go and wrangle with a good whiting. And that bycatch, too, you have to catch a brim and big dart and a flathead or, or a big fat salmon, mate, catching a salmon, right, on, uh, on, on <laughs> whiting that white gear, mate. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. The salmon goes, "What's this wafting in front of your face? Bang! It eats it." <laughs> you know, it's very it's, exciting it's, when you're when you're fishing six to, to eight pound line on a, a whippy little rod and a, a small alvey as you and I do. The the bend that they put in that rod is just pretty exhilarating. It's really good fun. We're speaking with Alex Bellissimo, rock and and beach fishing guide, and Alex, we had. Swell, uh, boy, well over six metres. I mean, uh, I was watching one of the surfing sites the other day at Wedding Cake where it was just like Waimea Bay and the uh, the surfographer who had his drone up and got some amazing images of the, the hell women and men catching those giant waves was saying that the uh, offshore wave boy off um, Botany went to 11 metres. What impact has that had on those beautiful beaches like Mona Vale and DY and Narrabeen and all those northern beaches where you fish for whiting? What what impact has it had on the gutters? Okay, so the southern side, which is in the lee of the swell, because the swell was in a compass compass direction. It was very, very south, which means that the the southern corners are quite protected, but the northern corners, the northern parts of the beaches is where it's copping the full brunt, the full impact of the swell. Now, what's happened, right, is carved out that potentially up to several metres of sand, and it gets down to the pebbles and the rocks. And that's why you get that round pebble that's been exposed for, who knows, hundreds of thousands of years, off and on. It gets reburied, it gets um, exposed again, reburied, exposed, and it becomes really snaggy, right? And then when you go up to the beach now, right, you go, you know something, is that weed in the gutter? So you look at your beach structure, for example, and this is before you start fishing, right? You go, is that is that weed in the gutter? And you go to have a good hard look at it, and you go, ah, it's rock, right? And then it's 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 a real pain in the butt when you actually cast out and you're getting snags. Because what happens with those flat pebbles, your line goes underneath a flat pebble, your pattern oster rig or your rig gets caught underneath that, and you can't move the pebble. If the pebble's small enough, you can flip the pebble <laughs> yeah. you know, if it only weighs half a kilo. But if it's big enough, your line goes underneath that pebble and you get snagged and you lose rigs. Make sure you've got the Polaroids on so you can see that it is a sand bottom. Is that the tip? That's the tip, mate. And what you'll notice, too, it's a lot steeper. 
Now, in those really steep areas, you go, look at this amazing-looking gutter. That looks like a fantastic spot to fish. But unfortunately, if you have a good hard look at it, you'll notice that there may be pebbles in, in, in the water. Now, another indicator, too, is that if the water's too dirty to be able to see the pebbles and the rocks, the, the exposed reef there, what you'll see is dirty water, right? So that dirty water will be there so you can't see what's going on. But what you'll notice is that there's a lot of gravel and pebbles at your feet. You go, ah, right. So what you see at your feet here is going to be probably far more in the water. I think I'll give that gutter a miss, right? So my suggestion is to go to the southern sides of the beaches where there's a lot more sand. The sand erosion is far less compared to the northern side, right? So the northern side of it is very exposed because of the full impact of the southern soil because that's where it's impacting. The southern side, it's hardly any erosion. In some cases, even more sand's been added. Mm-hmm. So there'll still be fairly similar gutter structure than, than before the big swell, will there? Well, look, it's, it's reformed. The, the gutters have actually, as you know, um, listeners, that the gutters can change from one area to another. So they might move 100 metres up or they might change into a 45-degree gutter or a shallower or a deeper gutter. Um, so the gutter might be in a different position than what it was last time you fished before the big sea, but the, the structure is still there. Right? And what now about the fish? Where, where, where do those whiting and brim and, and dart and other resident fish, where do they go in those giant pounding six-metre seas? Well, the only place they can go is east. <laughs> they can only go east. They can just go to go into the deeper water, and then they—I would imagine—they're copying bigger, more pounding swells, and they just go further and further into deeper water. And when the water—they don't like to be in deep water, but the fact is yeah. that's where they're going to. Otherwise, they'll just get pummeled. But will know? they come so, back to the, the beaches that are probably there's a lot of food exposed after those massive seas? The, the beach worms, the pippies, all, all of the stuff that they eat. Will they come back to the beaches hungry? They'll come back hungry, but some of these places that have been abundant with beach worms, it's not because they've been over... over um, um, there's been too many beach worms there. It's because the sand has been ripped out of there, and so have the beach worms and the pippies and the soldier crabs. It's not the soldier crabs, the um, the um, sand, sand crabs and so forth. Yeah. You know, the actual food has been ripped out of there. So, But on the opposite side of the beach, but the actual... Um, the the structure's still there, the, the, the sand's still there, and therefore the fish maybe in some cases never even had to move out because the swell wasn't that big. Focus your effort on the on the southern ends, the north-facing spots on all of those beaches uh, up up and down your, your stretch and you might get yourself a feed of whiting. It's the big fish yeah, with really. Alex Bellissimo who's been bagging out on the whiting before the huge swell came through. And uh, as we said with Rob Longney, last week, who fishes the beaches around the entrance and Tookley and, and Lakes Beach and right up to the Newcastle end. He's been absolutely smashing them as well on, on the beach worms. The beach worms are the secret, aren't they? I mean, they are just a fantastic bait, followed closely by the, the pippies. If you've got a, lucky enough to have a few on your beach, of course, you can only take a handful for use there. And then uh, they, they uh, release very easily too if, if you don't, you know, if you pick up a, a handful and put them in your in some wet sand on your belt bag and then uh, drop them back into the surf. They they dig back in and, and uh, it's very sustainable, isn't it? That, that's exactly right, Scott. Thanks for mentioning that because any beach worms that I haven't, uh, so after yeah, where my trip's finished. So what I try and do when I'm fishing, I don't just pick up a beach worm, like half, put half a dozen in my bait container and then have the rest in, in my bucket and then I keep restocking my bait container. But 
the ones that I've got in my bait container, I try and use the beach worm that, that I've used and then put it aside on the left or the right side of my bait container. That way I don't keep um, breaking up beach worms. So at the end of the outing, if I've got beach worms left, left there's still whole beach worms. And when the, when the wave recedes, so, so when I want to re- um, actually release those worms, when the wave recedes to its maximum, I'll run down as quick as possible when it drains. I'll quickly dig, 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 and I'll put the worms in there, and then I'll actually bury it again. And the reason why I do that is because often when you're releasing beach worms, you're doing it around the high tide period or around two-thirds of the high tide, two-thirds of the tide in period because that's generally when people are beach worms. So therefore, I'm trying to get make sure that if I'm releasing beachworms, they're at least going to survive. They're up. They're not up too high on, on the watermark, you know, or actually nearly above the watermark. Will they dig back in, go back to, to living happily there after release? I, I didn't know you could release them. I, I know the pippies release very easily. Well, look, I would I would nearly guarantee, right? Because I, I I can't can't say absolutely guarantee, but I would just about guarantee that they will survive because they're in an oxygenated natural environment again with plenty of oxygen, right? They're in the sand again, and yes, I think they will redig again. And you don't need many for a, a whiting or, or brim session in the in the gutters, do you? Because you use little segments and uh, just cover enough to cover the hook. You'll, you'll do quite well. We're speaking with Alex Bellissimo about beach fishing and, and reading the gutters, even if it's a tiny little gutter. It was so interesting watching your video, your latest YouTube clip on on catching whiting and you really bagged out to you caught some absolute beauties and and lots of them a lovely feed but you can see that you're on the edge of that gutter too not in the middle of the gutter like most people throw but right on that interface between the wash and the sand that the bank the underwater bank and and that's a really good tip isn't it absolutely look look just so so if you've got a right to left drift for example and it's coming and, and that and that drift, that current is going from the shallow water into the deeper water. Just imagine the fish facing into that, into the current, and what they're they're picking food that's been torn off, like a a, a small worm or a pippy or a crab, an invertebrate that's been torn off from the sand flat into that deep water, and they're facing it. And don't forget, they're competing against dart and little tarwines and 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 whiting as well, right? And they need to be close where the action is because otherwise if they're too far back, their mates can end up with food before they do. So they're, they're hanging pretty much on the edge from the shallow water into the deep water. Another thing too, right, is that fish fish don't have eyelids, so they like to hang out where that sunlight is less, where there's it, it's more of a lower light area. And, and the reason being it's more lower light is because there's white water on top. So they got the white water, which makes them feel comfortable as well, and also the food, which is basically being taken to them. So they don't have to work overly too hard for the food because the food's basically coming to them. And fishing that edge, exactly what you mentioned, fishing that edge of that sandbank, that whitewater edge where it stops and then it goes into clearer water is exactly where you need to fish. Yeah, it's, it's a really great tip. It'll increase your catch rate dramatically. You, you're also casting accurately too. It's, you know, a lot of people just say, oh, I'll heave it into the gutter. But you yeah. really pinpoint those casts. You take enough lead to keep it just drifting around that spot. You don't want it anchored to the bottom. You want it sort of rolling off the, the edge of the ledge down into the gutter on that interface where the fish are, are feeding, where that sand is, is being eroded away and the food's being exposed. And you want it to come down naturally off that. There's a real art to it. Most people just find a gutter, 
chuck it into the middle with a big lead and leave it anchored there. And that's just not the way to catch fish after fish like you do. We're speaking with Alex Bellissimo. And, and of course, uh, another tip you gave us um, years ago was if that spot doesn't produce, have four or five casts, maybe a dozen at max, and then find another gutter because you just don't want to be fishing where the fish aren't. Well, that look, look, Scott, that's exactly right. You know, you know, too many people are waiting there with their very, very heavy sinkers for a start, waiting for the fish to come to them. So, if you're fishing with the right sinker weights, you're drifting throughout the 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 shallow into the deeper water, and you're covering much more area. So then, you you you're quite confident then that, providing it's the right stage of the tide too, and depending on the on, on the depth of the gutter. But you're quite confident then you go, okay, I've had a really good scan of the area. I now can go to another spot after having several casts. I can, I can now go to another spot rather than going, oh, I'm fishing with a heavy rig. I've had no bites. I'm just going to wait for the fish to, to come. Or I might move now and find other fish in, a, in another spot. But you haven't been thorough. You need to be thorough before you move to another spot. And by doing that, have a few casts with the right size sinkers, drift through the spot, and then move to another go. As you mentioned before, have a plan A, a plan B, plan yeah, C. But you need to go to that spot with a really good selection of sinkers, a number one, a number two, a number three, a number four, a number five. You know, you really need a good selection of sinkers to actually do that. And so often I get down there because I don't do a great deal of this style of fishing that you do. It's like, oh, damn it, that's too small, that's too big. You know, you really need to go to the tackle shop and buy a range of small, tiny sinkers to, to, to bigger ones so you can actually fish the, those spots with the optimum amount of drift and, and walk with it too. You know, make sure you, you walk with it as you, you walk it through the gutter. Don't just stand there and drag it because they don't like it being dragged against the, the current. That's another giveaway for Wiley Whiting to say, well, that worm should be moving that way, not that way. 100% right, mate. And the thing is, right, people don't ever forget that a beach worm or a pippy is not attached to a piece of line, which is then attached to a sinker and anchored. It drifts through the current. And as it's drifting through the current and, and rolling along the bottom, there's little mini little little whirlpools that it gets, it swells around and slows down and then it zips off again. And that's how naturally food is, is rolling along with the current in the surf. So, and, and people think, well, that small piece of food, if, if you threw in just a beach worm with no sinker, it would end up going from right to left extremely fast. But when it's bouncing around on the bottom, it gets caught up in little little crevices, sand crevices and so forth, and it's not ripping along the bottom like you would think it would be, see? This is why people like Alex and Rob Longney, who we, ha- we had on the program last week, they'll stand there on the beach and pull Whiting in one after the other, and other people will have a big lead and anchored to the bottom, a, a bit of pilchard or something, and say... Why is he catching all the fish? <laughs> These are the nuances, and this is why beach fishing can be quite a, a technical art. Hey, we're going to leave it there, Alex, but reading the yeah. beach, it's such a, an important thing to do. Get some good Polaroids. Look for that white water. Look for the edge of the gutter. Look, you know, look at the way the, the water's running so you can uh, get it right into the face of the fish, and your catch rate will go through the roof. It's a real thinking Absolutely. person's form of Hey, can I just fishing. add one more thing as Yeah, well? go for it, mate. Now, now... A lot of people don't fish for – they actually stop fishing for, for whiting generally around April, early May. Mate, I keep going for them until mid-July. So they'll be whiting around until mid-July. You know, choose your beaches, 
They may not be on one beach, but go and go to another one. You'll find you might find your whiting there. And even though it's freezing cold, the water isn't that cold, and you'll find your whiting as well. Well, the water temperature at the moment is still up around twenty, so you're going to find plenty if you exactly. go this weekend. It's so much safer than the rock fishing too. Uh, we still have a fairly solid swell, uh, you know, residual swell from that massive sea that we had last week. So. Good on you, mate. Thank you so much for teaching us how to read the beach and how to catch these fantastic fish right at our feet in the suburban uh, northern beaches of, of Sydney. Absolutely, mate. Look, just listen. Just don't, don't miss out on one of the most spectacular eating fish of all time, the yellowfin whiting, mate. They are so good to fish for, such good fun. And you know something? They're one species that will improve your ability as an angler as well. They are bellissimo. Hey, Shora. Tight lines, mate. Cheers, mate. Been a pleasure. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Take me where the whiting are biting And the flathead are lazing in the sand With an esky and a ten-foot tinny And leave me up a river somewhere Heaven's up an estuary, a river or a creek Your best mate and some two-stroke, enough to last a week A yabby pump, a crab pot and your favourite fishing gear And don't forget your stubby holder to hold your yummy beer Take me where the whiting are biting And the flathead are lazing in the sand With an esky and a ten-foot titty I'll be up a river somewhere No need to get too serious Just relax, that's the plan You can have your lures and plastics I'm an old bait man Mullet, gut and prawns Rotten in the midday sun A piscatorial perfume Only appreciated by some Let's go where the whiting are biting And the flathead are lazing in the sand an esky and a ten-foot titty And leave me out the river somewhere Now the world's gone crazy People blowing themselves up they need to sit on Sawtell Beach and watch the sun come up. I guess we take for granted this wild and beautiful land. So let's celebrate our freedom and enjoy it while we can. Let's go where the whiting are biting and the flathead are lazing in the sand. With an esky and a ten-foot tinny and I'll be up a river somewhere. Just leave me up a river somewhere On ABC Radio, it's The Big Fish with Scott Levi. And there's only one sure thing in fishing. You can catch The Big Fish podcast on the ABC Listen app. Anytime you like.
The Big Fish on ABC Radio. Here comes Tinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find him? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Good morning, Stinker. Hey, g'day, Scott. I'm so glad you're still with us. I thought you might have been washed away in those huge seas. Oh, gee. Oh, I don't know, but I talked to two long-term residents of Fingal Bay. It was Tuesday, Monday evening and into Tuesday, and I just went out to the local point, the whale-watching platform, and the sea was thunderous. They called it seven metres, but I saw waves that I've never seen before. And I asked one of the long-term commercial fishermen who works on the beach here and another fella who also is a long-term resident, and they agreed with me that they've never seen waves that big uh, before. Uh, oh, it's awesome. You know, I, I love it. I mean, it, it stink pot, you know, stink pot doesn't go anywhere near it. Um, but I just sit in awe at the power of the sea and to see what changes uh, ha- what changes happen. I mean, one there's one place, Scott, that it's just south of the whale watching lookout, and I've called it a battleship because it's an island, a rocky island, uh, without any vegetation on it at all, and and it, it resembles. You've got to have a good imagination, but it re- resembles a battleship. Well, the waves just went completely over the top of that, just completely over the top. Wow, that would have been a, a spectacular uh, show of spray, the white foam and oh, yeah. spray flying into the air. Yes, well, that's right, because there was that howling westerly, and once there's a big wave, a huge wave pushing into a strong wind, you get this big lion's mane. Of, oh. oh, and the sun, if the sun shines through that, it's spectacular. But, you know, I even get a bit more basic when I look at these things. And I'm thinking, there's one thing I'm glad I'm not today, and that's a crab living on Battleship Island. <laughs> now, now, I mean, how come you don't lose your grip? If you're a crab, you'd have to go down into some crevice and hang on for grim death. <laughs> well, they've got eight legs, Stinker, I guess you need to have eight footholds washed away. But, of course, many of them probably do get washed down into the depths, and that's when the big snapper come up from down deep and uh, gorge themselves. Well, see, I don't even think, like in the, in the conditions that, that were here on Monday and Tuesday, the snapper even couldn't get in there. It is, that's, that's how big it was. Um, so they'd need every one of those eight legs, and I'd be hanging on tight. <laughs> but, but as you say, as things drop down a little bit, as they have, uh, this weekend should be a fantastic weekend's fishing. Well, um, all but, all that stuff that lives in the littoral zone, there's more than just crabs. Surely a lot of that would wash down off the bombies uh, with that great force of white water and, and into the gutters and down in deep off the bombies where you fish. Yeah, yes. And that's why I'm suggesting that this weekend should be a bumper weekend for anyone considering going fishing. But I know I've told you before, but what happens in this big sea is that waves actually wash up into the bush and the bush that that, that grows adjacent to the beach. 
and the, the waves just wash up the beach and smash up into the into the bush. Now, I talked to an old mate of mine, Glynny Tarrant, and he's a, a, a long-term uh, commercial fisherman here and lobster man. And he said to me, Stinker, he said, he said, you won't believe this. I said, and when Glynny says that, you go, oh, here we go. Anyway, <laughs> he said, one day, he said, I set my trap and a big sea come along, and he said, I was looking for my lobster trap, and I said, there it is. It's up there 10 metres in the bush. The wave has washed it up into the bushes, and it still had bait in it. So he went to go and collect his lobster trap out of the bush, and sitting in it, looking extremely guilty, was a fox. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? He's not a Alaskan fur trapper. He's a lobster trapper. Well, he said to me, he said, it's hard getting a lobster out of a lobster trap. He said, have you ever tried to get a fox out of a lobster trap? He said, I've never met a happy one yet. Foxes are the grumpiest creatures on earth, and any time you go near them, they want to snap at you. So he said, I took a wise decision and left the trap up in the bush. He said, I opened the gate so that the fox could get out when it was good and ready. He said, but I wasn't going to put my hand in there. (laughs) Very, very snappy indeed. It's stinker and tales of the, the big seas. And it's just amazing, isn't it? We don't really realize that there is a bar uh, between those two gigantic volcanic structures at the the mouth to Nelson Bay. But you find out in those huge seas if they're in the right direction, don't you? Because there is sand there and it will break. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. I mean, the more easterly the swell is, see, you get a big swell, but it depends a lot upon the direction from where it's coming. Mm. And if it has a lot of east in it, well, it will pound the coastline. If it has more south in it, it tends to run parallel to the coast. It doesn't do as much damage either, does it? A big southerly swell to a nor'easterly ECL or, or cyclone swell. That, that's that's pretty right. I remember once when I was I used to sell raffle tickets at the Country Club Hotel um, many many years ago, and that the, the shallow water that you're talking about in the middle of Port Stephens, out near the heads. In that swell, you get these huge, huge waves. Now, I've never seen surfboard riders out there. I've never seen them, and I don't know why. But anyway, this particular day I was watching, there was some crazy bloke out there in a in a catamaran, and he and I'm thinking, what's he doing? But he he caught a wave, and and oh, gee, it was spectacular <laughs> to watch him slide down this wave, um, and then. Bob out the other side, and everyone in the pub, they, we left the pub and stood on the on the sidewalk, and we all clapping. We were clapping this bloke, <laughs> and we didn't even know who it was. But he, 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 he then he lifted, filled the sail and went back out to ride another wave, but he was a bit cheeky, and he got in the white water, and the whole thing just gobbled him up, and the whole thing turned upside down, and we're all looking at him, looking with it. Oh, this is the end of that bloke, whoever it was. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it popped up out of the water, and the sail went back up in the air, and everyone started to cheer. He was still it on was board. Funny. He was yeah. still on board. He must have tied himself to the trapeze. Yeah. Well, everyone had a schooner in their hand on the side of the road, and they're jumping around like they'd won the lotto. Uh, and all it was, there was a, a, a catamaran turned up the right way. I tell you, I bet a few of them who were fishermen or had boats there said, I'm not going to get him if he goes west. 
No, look, uh, yeah. But what's really astounded me about the whole issue is that two young young um, commercial fishermen of families, the Tarrants and the Monans, that have been here for many generations, they, at half past four in the morning, had driven around Fingal Beach, around right to the end of the beach, which is around about two kilometres long. And so they've gone around to the Fingal Spit, which is dangerous at the best of time, and they're going to see how the mullet, if the mullet is still moving. And they said, by half past five, and there's a bit of colour in the sky, and they looked um, to the south and they said, gee, look out, you know, there's a bit of sea building here. And then by six or half past six to seven o'clock, the sea had gone from pretty flat to a, a three or four metre sea. And they said, we better get out of here. So they gunned it back around the beach to get off the beach as quickly as they possibly could. And by another hour on top of that, had had built to seven metres. So in a matter of hours, it's gone from a bathtub to a raging tempest in a, in a very, very short time. So, you've, Scott, what the lesson is, is to keep a close look on all the bomb sites because they're pretty accurate, you know. The mm. ones I read are anyway. Stinker's with us uh, talking about the big seas and, and Stinker, as soon as it starts to to abate a bit, the fish will turn up and you'll catch them in, in unusual places after a really big sea. Oh, most certainly. I, I wouldn't be surprised this weekend. I'll find out on Monday morning for sure. Anyone who fishes off the break, Nelson Bay break wall for brim, they could be in for a big surprise yeah. because there's nothing to stop a 5kg snapper from picking them up or Mulloway are really on the move. One of the hauls that the fishermen had earlier in the week before the big sea had some big mulloway in their net along with the mullet. The snapper will be jumping out of the water because they've been hungry. They've been out there in deep water escaping the huge sea. So when it all settles down, they come in close to uh, feast on all those poor unfortunate crabs that have lost their grip uh, and everything else, all that other shellfish that gets cleaned out. So I think that this weekend will be one of the best fishing weekends on the calendar. So I'm interested to find out what happens early, if uh, what, what news I get early next week. All right, you'll be able to put a picture of a, a giant snapper in the paper that someone's caught fishing for brim inside the port. That's always a story that uh, turns heads and pages, isn't it? It is. I mean, and, and I don't know how many, I don't know whether what other river systems or ports along the coast can claim to be a good fishery for snapper. But this one has been since uh, records were ever kept. Actually, it was a better snapper fishery um, inside the harbour, way, way back, seven kilometres inside the harbour, where you catch these thumping great snapper. And they turn up occasionally, but as you get a bit closer to the heads, it seems to be that's where they are now. So you're still sort of, what am I, uh, three or four kilometres from the heads inside the port and you can guarantee pretty much guarantee to catch a really nice snapper so i'm saying um that this weekend the forecast is that the tea is a, the sea is abating and the snapper will be hungry so hang on when you toss your line out hang on because i reckon that this is going to be a cracker i reckon you'll you'll be itching to get out there tight lines buddy Oh, I'm as keen as must. I mean, like a caged tiger, Scott. Hooroo. <laughs> Hooroo, mate. 
On ABC Radio, it's The Big Fish with Scott Levi. And there's only one sure thing in fishing. You can catch The Big Fish podcast on the ABC Listen app anytime you like. There's a singing single, a cell in celebrity. There's a rage in marriage. There's a grave in gravy. There's a dump in dumpling, a liver in delivery. There's a pay in every patriot and a spit in hospitality. But there's a tuna, there's a tuna, there's a tuna in every opportunity. Chunk white or abacore, guess who's knocking at your door? It's the tuna of opportunity. If you take the two A's out of aardvark, if you take the two L's out of llama, if you take the two O's out of ooze, put them all together, they spell hello. (laughs) But there's a tuna, there's a tuna, there's a tuna in every opportunity. Chunk light or abacore, guess who's knocking at your door? It's the tuna of opportunity. There's a dye in every diet. There's a gas in gastrointestinal tract. There's a man in mental illness. And ovary and overreact. Yes, there's a tuna. There's a tuna. There's a tuna in every opportunity. Chunk light or abacord. Guess who's knocking at your door? It's the tuna of opportunity. Oh, water, oil, or ahi, you should give it a try. The tuna of opportunity. (laughs) And Mitchie is rugged up with the mittens, with the scarves, with the the woolly jumper. But very soon you'll be able to take all of that. Well, not all of it offhand, but, you know, you'll be able to um, strip down because it'll be a pretty nice day. Keep it? Yes. Yes, Scott, it is. Yeah, it's a bit fresh out here this morning, but we're looking forward to a really nice day. And what are you up uh, to today? Okay, so today is actually um, our monthly comp with Keep It. Uh, our last one, and, and then we actually do close down for winter because it is just too dang cold out here on a on a fresh Saturday morning. So we're just having our little monthly comp, um, interclub comp out here this morning. Everybody's just sort of wandering around, scratching bits and pieces. <laughs> Making a cuppa and getting ready to head out on the water and see what we can round up today. Tell you what, there'll be a few people wrapping their their hands around that hot cup of coffee or tea to to get the circulation mm. going. But uh, the dam's looking great from all reports, Anne. It's it's full of water and, and full of fish. Yep, full of water, full of fish. It's all all looking good out here. Hopefully, the fish to water ratio isn't out too far today. And uh, we actually managed to land a few to get on the brag mat and. Um, have some good yarns for later in the afternoon when we're kicking back with uh, some of that brown bubbly water and and, uh, and a nice barbecue to finish off the day. Oh, what a way to, to spend your Saturday at Beautiful Keep It, a, a lovely body of water. You've been uh, out and about a bit, haven't you, at, at the Native Fish Forum uh, the other day at, at Dubbo, a big roll yep. up there, lots of our big fish listeners and lots of the scientists and, and experts from New South Wales DPI fishery that we we talked to. What did you take from that as a keen fisherwoman and a keen uh, conservationist and and habitat restorer? Um, Yeah, it was a great conference. It was really good to catch up with all those people again down in the wonderful Dove Vegas. Uh, One of the biggest takeaways I got from it 
and it was a recurring theme for me throughout the two days we were there, was just how important our small-bodied fish are in our native in, in the big scheme of things with all our native fish. And I, and I think sometimes as rec anglers, like we you know we we all want to go out and catch one of you know a metery cod or. Uh, there was a great presentation there about the the macas and stuff like that too, um, and they actually had um, because macas, as we know, the little Macquarie perch are hard to come by these days. They actually have um, in one of the recovery reaches, they've made this big sign up, and it's our one where you put your face through and get your photo, and the picture is you know holding up a Macquarie perch. So we want to make it a reality that you're actually catching fish. You don't have to stick your head through the poster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I, but I thought it was a very cool idea. But just how important our little fish are, like our river blackfish um, that live, you know, in the higher areas in some of the tributaries that lead into the Murray-Darling Basin, the little Murray-Darling rainbow fish, um, all the, all the, like down to the tiny little galaxids and, and things like that that we forget about, you know, and just how important they are. Like they're not necessarily a target species for us as wreck anglers, but they're just so important because, you know, little fish has got to feed the big fish. So if they're not there in the right numbers, it doesn't all work. Our big fish have got nothing to eat, and then then we haven't got them to catch. So it, it sort of just made you stop and think about it, and it, it just flows. The whole ecosystem's got to be right, otherwise it doesn't work. But is it fair to say that all of that habitat work that Ausfish and and the River Care people and the Land Care people and you you've been involved in through the New England Northwest, particularly, you know that that also benefits them as well as the big cod and the big yellow belly and the catfish and all the other silver perch yeah. and all the other native fish? Yeah, my, most definitely, Scott. It's just so important all round. You know, like our little river blackfish, um, they they need, you know, certain habitats. And, and the one big thing, I suppose, I take it for granted, but it's just so important. Our native fish, funnily enough, they need water and they need flowing water is the big thing. So we talked at different times, and I know you've had some very knowledgeable people on talking to about it and how important fish, fish passage is. So, you know, not having structures in our waterways that prevent our fish on their big migration journeys. Um, and also, you know, the weir pools with the still water, it's not necessarily conducive um, habitat for our fish. They like flowing water, you know. They, they like the riffles and the the, the um, deeper pools and then runoffs and things like that. That's exactly what our rivers are when they're left in their natural states and that's what our fish love. Mm. And, and I've never eaten one, but the old timers up in the mountains uh, revered the slipperies or the, or the river yeah. blackfish. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's funny, you know, you, the river blackfish, the silver perch, the Macquarie perch, you know, all, all fish that w- are really becoming oh, rare yeah. and, and we can't eat these days. No, um, but the, they, they the, were a staple for a lot of people. I know I've got friends that will tell me about catching um, slipperies um, up around Bendemeer. Um, they used to catch them for a feed. Um, and they uh, were so much people, nicer, yeah. so much nicer to eat than the cod and the yellow belly in many people's opinions back in those days. Yeah, that's right. And a lot of people will tell you that a silver perch is a better fish eating fish than a, yeah. than a yellow belly. But, yeah, but... And of the course, way, we can't the, can't eat macas anymore. But they were the, the best of all, according to some of the old timers. Of course, we're trying to bring Macquarie perch back as well. So, for selfish reasons, if we get the habitat right and these fish come back, there's there's a feed for country people too um, in a sustainable recreational fishery. Maybe that's right. And wouldn't that be awesome to actually be able to go back out there and yeah, go down like you know 
My dad used to tell the story. On, I mean, admittedly, it was an Eastern Fall River, but, you know, fresh water. That was his job of a Sunday afternoon, go down, turn over all the cowpats and catch a handful of crickets and go down and catch fish for, the, for Sunday tea. Um, you know, wouldn't it be great to be able to have those sort of stories that, that our grandkids can tell their grandkids sort of thing that, you know, that's what they did because our generation in between, or several generations it'll take, got it right again so that people can go back out and catch a feed of fish when they need to. For sure. We're speaking with Anne Mitchie from Ozfish Unlimited on the New England Tablelands who was out at Dubbo, or what do you call it, Dub Vegas for the Native Dub Fish <laughs> Native Fish Forum uh, just uh, between the 3rd and 5th of May. And you were saying that there was some really great evidence-based research done by uh, the First Nations people, our Indigenous fishers, about yeah. how, how clever they were in managing the stocks uh, yeah, to feed, all, almost uh, grading the fish in their brilliantly uh, contrived fish traps. Yes, yeah, it was amazing. It was a really good presentation um, and just really interesting that some of the notes that had been taken by some of the early settlers and explorers and their observations of watching how the Indigenous people um, harvested the fish, but they were likening the fish traps to um, either sheep pens or cattle pens. And basically at different times, if the river was low, the um, Indigenous people would actually get in the water and then drive the fish towards these traps into these pens and then draft them off basically like we draft cattle or sheep, you know, and, and let the little ones go. They were specifically the way they were designed and the gaps in the rocks. The little fish could get out and keep going so they'd grow for a bigger fish another day, but they'd keep the size ones that they wanted to take um, to feed their communities. And it's like, yeah, they were basically enforcing their own slot limits way back then, you know. They were very, very smart and we need to actually go back and pay a lot more attention to what our First Nations people are trying to tell us because they were getting it right. And, and we've, you know, some of the, some of the actions that we've uh, introduced to our waterways, not so right. Is there um, evidence to suggest that these uh, fish traps, particularly the ones that are still in existence out on the Darling near Rewarrina, yeah. could be the oldest human constructions in history? That is something I've heard, of, um, yeah, about the fish traps there at Bree. Yeah, they're like phenomenal um, age and, yeah, and they're still there. So these guys knew what they were doing, how, how to build things um, and, and how to keep them and maintain them and then also like live sustainably off, off the resources that they had. They knew when they could harvest their fish and when to let them go and when the flows were on and, and even apparently the heights that they have these different traps set at. It was like, so when there was a big flow on and the fish were all migrating and moving, they'd catch them at certain flows, but the other ones they'd go so that they could still keep going up the river and, and breed and make, ensure that there was plenty of fish for the next time around. So it was, it was really interesting and I'd actually like to look into it a bit more because it was like, well, yeah, these fish traps and what, and what, they're, what they're saying, it was um, very, very smart. Yeah, they they had it all worked out, didn't they? What what a way of life, you know, living a very good life off the land and, and managing the land and living with with the land. Uh, that's uh, maybe what we start need to start to learn about and get get back to make yeah, it su- sustainable so. and make it sustainable. Well, you have a lovely day there, 
on, I will. on the lake. I'm, I'm, I'm off. I'm, I think I can hear someone singing out. The boat must be nearly packed off. You know, time this right. All right. Scott. What's I'll your? I'll have a yarn to you before I go and have a fish. That's All right. You're going to troll a few lures or cast a few or do a bit of soft plastic. What's the? Uh, we'll probably do a, do a bit of trolling um, out and about. We'll see how we go. Um, if that's not happening for us, might even tie up to a tree and drop a few live shrimp down the side. That tends to pull up a yellow out here, so... Ah, that's great fun. Try, try a couple of different things. We'll see how we go. Bobbin for yellow belly. You couldn't <laughs> do better there. They're lovely fish out of there, too. They've got that lovely saffron belly and the, the green shoulders. They're a really pretty fish, aren't they? that's coming up out of the water out here is looking so healthy. Um, it's just a really beautiful sight to see. I know there's been a lot of uh, just undersized cod caught here in the lead-up to this comp, um, and every photo I've seen, they're just a beautiful, healthy, um, really mottled, pretty fish at the moment. So it's really good to see our waterways nice and healthy here at the moment. Yeah, plenty of water and, and a few less carp too after you... We carp, we don't keep it <laughs> uh, family fishing. Lake, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, we featured that story a, a few weeks ago, didn't we? We, we yep. spoke to you up there at Keep It. Um, all right, take care uh, there and have a lovely day on the water today. No, I will do, Scott. Thank you. And Mitchie there from Ozfish Unlimited.